you. I know you're only doing that because your pastor told you to. I understand that, but it felt good anyway. You know, he forgot to tell him second service and nobody clapped. So I know that why you clap. But anyway, uh, it's great to be here. Soul City, what, what, a, what a, a wonderful, warm, special church you are. And uh, you know what? I am so thankful for Soul City and what you're doing here in the West Loop in the city of Chicago. We need good churches like you to be a part of our city and to be a part of helping our city to be what God has hoped it would be. And my wife Ann and I, we, we often drive down and uh, drive past Soul City. And when we do, we often comment about it. We uh, Sometimes we'll just, when we drive by, shoot up a little prayer and pray for the pastors and pray for this church that it would be what God has called it to be. And uh, we're just thankful here. I, I'm really glad to be here with you. And you're a great church. Uh, and it's, it's hard to believe you're only five years old. It really is because God has done amazing things in that moment. And we're so thankful for that. I'm glad to be here. I love, I love church. And I've been the pastor of the same church for 38 years. And it's, it's, uh, it's a joy. And I love Sunday morning worship. I love coming to church. So to be here with you today is, is wonderful. And, you know, my story is very simple. You know, a bunch of years ago, I moved into North Lawndale. And, and when I moved into North Lawndale, you know, I, I, I did a little something is that, you know, North Lawndale, if you don't know it, it's all right. It's, it's, a, it's an all African-American community on the west side of Chicago, just a little bit further from here, you know, about 10 minutes from here. And, uh, you know, when I moved in, I, I moved into uh, a little place there uh, right off of Kedzie, 20, uh, 15th and Kedzie, right near the, the Bucket of Blood. Anybody knows the west side in, in your old school, you're going to know what the Bucket of Blood is, a little tavern right on the corner of uh, 16th and, and uh, Kedzie. And, you know, when I started this little Bible study, the, the, uh, the kids from my football team that I'm coaching at Farragut, I knew that if I was going to have any kind of impact with the young people growing up and the young people at the school that I'm teaching at, that what I needed to do was live in the neighborhood where they live. So I, I wanted to move in, and, I, and, and it was a little struggle. People weren't sure they wanted me to live there, and, uh, but I talked them into letting me live there. They thought I was a drug dealer, or they thought I was going to do something crazy, you know, come some crazy man, pedophile, or whatever, you know. They just, they just didn't understand. Why would a white man want to live here? But, you know, I, I, I did, and, uh, and things began to work. And then, of course, uh, you know, I got married, uh, and when I got married, the white population doubled, and then I uh, had two kids. <laughs> And the, 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 the population doubled again. And my wife and my daughter, who was that first of that, are, are here. So I, I just like to have my wife and my beautiful daughter, Angela, uh, stand right here. And... Uh you know... You know uh, I, I wrote a book about what we're talking about, but my favorite part of the book, I want to read to you, okay? And uh, it's the dedication. And here, here's what it says. I dedicate this book to my wonderful wife, Anne. We have partnered together for over 33 years. Anne and I share life together. We do ministry, friends, and family as one. She is exceedingly and abundantly beyond what I have ever hoped or dreamed of in a wife. I shudder to think where I would be without her. Anne is the love of my life my best friend, and the collaborator of my soul. Thank you, Ann. I didn't do that the other two services because she wasn't here, all right? I got to get a little joke here so I can go on. I, now what am I, what's my next line? I forget, what am I preaching? You know, help me, Jared. Uh, 
So anyway, I, I live over here on, uh, on uh, 15th and Kedzie. And, you know, moving into Lawndale, I came as a school teacher. And so I really thought that I, I, I kind of knew what I was doing. I'm graduate, graduated from college, did my student teaching, and I'm going to teach at Farragut. So I really came with that in mind. But there's a couple things that shaped me as a teacher that I, I want to just tell you a couple quick stories that can kind of help you to see how God was working in my life. So I'm living there on 15th and Kedzie, and, and uh, I'd been there about three or four months, started a little Bible study in our home. It was out of that Bible study, actually, that, of high school kids that the kids had this idea to start a church that Lawndale evolved. I wouldn't be a pastor if it wasn't for those kids from Farragut High School. And Ann and I began to listen to them as they told us uh, and, and said they had this idea to start a church that was reaching people who didn't go to church. That's what we started doing 38 years ago. But, I, but so I'm here, and I, and I go home uh, to Iowa to visit my parents and flew back. When I, when I flew back and I come back into to Lawndale, uh, cab, I brought a cab from the airport. Blue Line didn't run over there all the way to the airport back then, but you know, that's, you didn't need to tell you that. All right. <laughs> so what happens is I, I, you know, I, the cab gets out and when I get out of the cab, uh, I noticed that my van didn't look the same as when I left for Christmas, all right? That, 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 that's, that window that keeps me warm in the winter and the driver's side had been smashed out. My spare tire that used to be bolted down in the back of the van had been taken away from that and actually was sitting in the driver's seat, my, my tire. And I was like, way, wow, what is going on? I get inside, Mrs. Washington, my landlady, uh, she hears me come in, she quickly comes out in the hallway and she said, call the police. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. She said, call the police. I said, well, what happened? I said, call the police. You do what Mrs. Washington tells you. And so I call the police. I go out and I wait for them. The police show up. And after a few minutes, the police are there. I go out to the squad car and I start to talk to them. They said, well, wait a minute. We're, we're looking for somebody else. And I said, what do you mean? They said, well, we're looking for the owner of this van. And well, that's me. They said, you can't be the owner of the van because they said the person who owns the van lives in that building right there. And I know you don't live there. I said, no, I live right there. Oh, okay. They said, this is unbelievable. I said, well, what do you mean? They said, first of all, we didn't know any white people lived on this block, okay? So that was kind of unbelievable. And, and so I said, yeah, well, I'm a teacher, and I began to talk to them a little bit. And then they said, and, and uh, not only that, it, it's crazy because the guy that lives two doors down from you right here, he broke into your van. And, and right there, and you know what? This is amazing. He said, the police said, I can't believe this. They said, what we did is that several people on your block called the police, and, and said on the guy that lived there to you, this white guy, that this is unbelievable that so many people on your block would call the police against their neighbor for you. They said, this is unbelievable. Police then also got there quickly and caught the guy in the van. Now, they didn't say that was so uh, unbelievable, but that might be the most unbelievable part of the story, that the police <laughs> in Chicago responded and actually caught somebody in the act. But anyway, they get there, and, and, uh, and then uh, they... they uh, they take him to jail, and then uh, they said, and your tire's still here. I said, yeah, I guess so. And they said, well, you know, this happened two days ago. Nowhere in Chicago does a tire sit in an unlocked car that anybody could steal. And you know, they said, this is unbelievable. I said, well, I don't know. But anyway, they left. I go into my landlord, Mrs. Washington. I go in and talk to Mrs. Washington. As I'm talking to her, you know, we're having this conversation. We're about the whole thing, and she's talking about it. And I said, and finally I just said, and can you believe my tire is still there? I heard it happened two days ago. She said, of course it's still there. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, we set up a neighborhood watch, and hour by hour for the last two days, we've watched that tire so that nobody would steal it. She said, go get that tire and bring it in because we're not watching anymore. <laughs> 
So anyway, that night when I went to bed, I did something that I do most nights. When I, when I lay down, I often just think about two things. Where did I see God's hand in my life? What were the blessings? And then what are the burdens? What are the things that are still hard on my heart? When I was doing that, all of a sudden, I felt God beginning to speak to my heart. And, and one of the things that I began to realize, that I, I realized when I was just meditating with the Lord that night in bed, I realized that for the first time in my life, I was living amongst a group of people who were striving to live out a dream. It was a part of the dream of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You remember his dream? That people would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. For the first time in my life, I was living amongst a group of people who were striving to do that. I remember that God began to work in my heart. Actually did a little bit of surgery. I got to admit to you, I'm embarrassed to tell you, when I came to Lawndale, I thought I had something to offer the people of Lawndale. I'm a college graduate, I'm educated, and I'm going to teach the people. And I, and I had let it overlap, not just the kids at Farragut, but the people around me. I was going to be teaching them about life. That night when I was in bed, God did a role reversal. He turned it upside down. And that night I could hear God clearly speak to my heart that I did not bring you to Lawndale to be a teacher. I brought you to be a student and a pupil. I would have to talk a lot longer than I have today to tell you that without a doubt, the people of Lawndale have taught me far more than I've taught them in the last 40 years, and I'm so thankful for that. But what that did for me is it made me realize I really didn't know what I was doing. I almost had no clue how to live out the call that God had on my life. Now, I'm a school teacher, and so as a, as a teacher in school, I inherited a class second semester that I'm going to teach at. And so when I inherit this class, the, 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 the school, the, they have already just assigned seats. And so there was a seat kind of like this, right here, front row, not second row. You should be up in the front, you know. <laughs> but second, first row, there was a seat right there. And in that seat, you know, the, the first day I walk into the room, it's empty. The second day, it's empty. The third day, for a week, nobody sat in that seat. It was an assigned seat. There was a young man that was supposed to sit there. So what I, I started thinking about it, and I, I thought, well, let me call the grade book after a week of being gone. And I, because he's failing my class. He can't pass. It's a 745 in the morning class. And so you know what I did? Do you know? I called the phone number. He's a smart guy. I called the number. But guess what? I won't hit you so hard. It was, it, the, the phone didn't work because it had been disconnected. So then I think I got a little creative and I wrote a note and I sent it to him with the, 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 the address that was in the grade book. Same thing happened. Got it back a day or two later. Address unknown. So here's this guy failing my class. For two weeks he hasn't been there. So finally, I got a little bit creative. I'm a little bit of a slow learner, but I got creative. I finally said to the students, anybody know anything about, and I called him by his name, this young man, this missed class every day. And they said, oh, coach, you're talking about Top Cat? I, Top, that's not the name I knew him, but yeah, I guess I'm talking about Top Cat. And they said, okay, well, Top Cat. I said, does he ever come to school? And they said, yeah, he comes to school. But he, doesn't, he works at that gas station up on 16th and Christiana, and so he works all night, goes home about 6 o'clock in the morning, sleeps a little bit, and so he always misses first and second period. He didn't get here till division. And I thought, well, okay, all right. I said, if you ever help me, I need to meet him. I've never seen him. I can't get a hold of him. If you see Top Cat in the halls today and you see me, will you introduce me to him? 
All right, I'm sorry I'm neglecting you clear over there, all right? But, but, but this is the nicer side, okay? All right, and, and, uh, but anyway, so I, I, I end up coming, and uh, one day, I'm, that same day, I'm walking down the hall at Farragut, and all of a sudden, I heard a voice, Coach Gordon, Coach, 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 come here. And then I heard him say, Top Cat, come here. And I got to meet Top Cat. And I said, hello, Top Cat, how you doing? All right, hey, Top Cat, I shook his hand. I said, hello, get that phone out of there. I said, Top Cat, how you doing? You know, I'm Mr. Gordon, I'm your first period English. I mean, a political science teacher, you haven't been to class. You're failing my class, son. You got it, but you can pass it. I know you can, I look him right in the eye and said, I know you can pass my class, but you got to come to class. And I kind of grabbed him by the shoulders. And he was taller than me, kind of like this guy. What's your name? What's your name? Vance? Okay. So I, just like you, but you're Top Cat now, Vance. No, all right. All right. So I'm talking to him, and he looks me right in the eye. I look him in the eye. He looks me right back in the eye. And you know what he said to me? He says, Coach, I'll be there tomorrow. Coach, I'll be there tomorrow. Thank you, Top Cat. Now, Top Cat was a man of his word. Next morning, I walked into the classroom. Sure enough, who's there? Top Cat. That seat was no longer empty, but it was filled. Now, Top Cat is the kind of student you hope you get to teach if you're a teacher. And by the way, I don't know how many teachers we have in here, but if you're a teacher, whether it's the Chicago Public School or some other school, I just want you to know that I appreciate you. I appreciate teachers that are doing a good job that are loving the kids and loving on them and loving on your kids wherever they go to school. I mean, teachers have it difficult sometimes, and they're very unappreciated. You know, 30 kids in a class without an aid. I mean, that's tough. So I appreciate you teachers. Thank you for the work that you do. But when I was teaching, Top Cat was the kind of student you really hope you get to teach as a teacher because Top Cat went from being a failing student to a D, to a C, to a B, to becoming a straight-A student in my class. It's the kind of guy you really hope you get to teach. And Top Cat then became my prize student. He, was, he never missed class, never tardy. For the next four months, he was always there and was right there helping me teach that class. And then one morning, after about four months, I walked into the classroom. And when I walked in, the chair was empty again. I remember this day very, very distinctly. The emotions of it come back to me every time I say it. Top Cat wasn't in the chair. 46, 47, 48, by 750, I figured he wasn't going to get there. And I commented to the class. I said, you know, Top Cat's not here today. It's the first day since he's been back that he was either tardy or didn't come to class. Does anybody know anything? They said, Coach, Coach, you didn't hear about Top Cat? I said, no, hear what? They said, yeah, up at the gas station where he works, there was a hold up there last night. He got shot. He's dead. I really remember that just like it happened yesterday. I can remember I couldn't teach. I just said, get your books out, read a chapter. I sat there behind my desk at this classroom at Farragut High School, tears streaming down my cheek, and I was thinking, my prize student top hat's dead and it didn't even seem to affect the students in my class. They are so used to violence and people getting shot and people getting killed. My heart was broken. I remember when I got home that night, I quickly turned on TV 2579, watching all the stations. Nothing 
No story about Top Cat getting shot and killed. Got the newspapers the next morning, Tribune, Sun-Times, the Defender, the newspaper, the African-American community. No story about Top Cat. Do you know I couldn't even go to Top Cat's funeral because I didn't know where it was. Top Cat is one of those nameless and faceless people in our world that become statistics, but nobody knows their name. It was in light of those two stories that I began to realize I had no clue what to do or how to do what I sensed God calling me to do. And so when we are like that, actually, that's a pretty good place to be. I always get scared when people tell me, oh, I know what to do. I can do that. Ooh-wee. Thank God for arrogant people. <laughs> but you know, I really didn't know what to do. I, I know I came to Lawndale arrogant, but God had my van story to take me out of that and the Top Cat story to help me to realize I had no clue what to do. So I began to go to the Bible. I began looking through the Bible, and I found this word great. And what's the great commandment? You know, I really wanted to know. And so I, I went to God's word to begin to learn this stuff. And all of a sudden, I began to focus on the greatest commandment. This expert in the law comes up to Jesus, found in Matthew 22, again, almost the same story in Mark chapter 12. You know, and the question was, they come to Jesus, that what's the greatest command? In other words, what's the most important thing you want me to do? If you only get to ask God one question, that would probably be the question to ask. What do you want me to do? What's the most important thing? And Jesus then answers the question. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he didn't stop there. He, the, the question was, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he said, and there's a second like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, most of us, when we look at this story, we realize that, you know, the number one thing I'm supposed to do in life is to love God. And that's what, that's what people of faith have been doing all of their life. That's what the children of Israel were trying to do. That's what we do in the church. We try to love God. You came to church today out of your love for God. You came because you love God and you want to serve him and you want to be close and you want to sing songs and you want to praise your hands to the Lord. And so all of that, we're working hard to love God. But just like the children of Israel, just like the early church in some ways, just like us in church in America, we put this underneath it. Love God, and then the second one is to love my neighbor as I love myself. Most of the time we leave it here in a subsidiary position. It's I'm going to love God, and then if I get a chance, I'll try to love my neighbor. Well, most of us, this is our A priority and our B priority. In your list, when you make your priorities of what to do, you always work hard to get to your A's, but you never get to your B's. That's the story of the church. We are loving God, but we're not obeying that great commandment of loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. Jesus said the second is not subsidiary. It's not underneath this. He says the second is just like the first. He elevates it on the same plane. So the great command, he took two and put it into one. Love God with everything we have, and then secondly, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, if we move over to Luke, I think it's in, in page 725 in the Bible that's there. If you have your phone or you have any place that you can look it up, uh, and I think it'll be on the screen too, but Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. Let me read you this passage because it's a, it's a parallel passage, but there's a couple differences. Verse 25, Luke 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, there's a different question. Same teacher, same expert in the law type of a person, but a different question. This is what must I do to make sure I'm going to heaven, that I have eternal life? Really what the question is, what do I need to do to be sure that I am a Christ follower? What do I need to do to be sure that I am a Christian and doing what God would have me to do? Little different, but Jesus looks at him and said, hey, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? So he says, answer your own question. And the man says, he answered, verse 27, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Hello, somebody. Now, in Lawndale, somebody might be saying something with me once in a while, all right? So, I mean, you know, it's okay to talk to me like, say, you know, preach it, preacher, preach it. Vance, help me out, top cat. But anyway... To help me now, all right? So anyway, you know, it's, yeah, that's right, coach, that's right. You know, you say, anyway, take that off my time. Okay. Uh, uh. Did you notice this expert in the law got the point Jesus was making? One sentence, one run-on sentence with one command. He says to Jesus, he's answering Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. He had put it into one. That's what we need to do. Jesus says, you've answered correctly, you're going to live. But then there was that arrogance in him. Remember I talked about arrogant people? Mm-hmm, <laughs> Preach it, brother. Preach it. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So anyway... This is the 1130 service, all right? I, uh, yeah. So he understood. He got it right. But then because he was arrogant, I'm so glad. Thank God for arrogant people because when people are arrogant, they think they know it all and they mess up and we get to learn from their mess ups, all right? And when I'm arrogant and I mess up, I get to learn from my mess ups. But look here. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. In other words, he thought he was loving his neighbor. He said, I want Jesus to see what a great guy that I am, okay? I want everybody to know that I am a great guy. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, Jesus surprised him with what he answered. He didn't answer him with what we would think is our neighbor. You know, here in America, we have our own definition of neighbor. Very simple. You know what it is. I don't need to spend much time on this. You look in the dictionary, and this is what comes up in the American dictionary, in Webster's or whoever, and that is our neighbor is somebody that is close by, in our close proximity, somebody that lives in our block, somebody that lives in our apartment building, somebody that lives close to us. That's who we think is our neighbor. And so that's who we love. Now, because of our American understanding of neighbor, we are probably getting it wrong. Jesus tells this whole story so this expert in the law would know who his neighbor is so that he could love his neighbor, which is a part of the great command, and be who God has called him to be. So who is my neighbor? Jesus then proceeds to tell the story, which is commonly known as the story of the Good Samaritan. I want to read it in your hearing. And so we pick up the story here in verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when they came to the place and saw him, passed by 
on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three, Jesus said, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Obviously, the story is self-explanatory. You know it. It's the Samaritan who acted like a neighbor and loved his neighbor. And most sermons, most Bible studies spend so much time thinking about the Samaritan and wanting to be like him that we miss the point of this whole story that Jesus told. Because the point is not just to know who that. The point is to figure out who is our neighbor. The only way in this story we're going to know is we must study and we must look at it and ask the question, who's the man beaten up on that side of the road? Who is that man? Who is that guy? And as we learn the characteristics, I've been doing that for over 25 years. I finally wrote a book after, at, uh, after studying for 25 years, and I got 40 characteristics of the man beaten up on the side of the road. Jared gave me permission to give you all 40. Each one takes two minutes, okay? So I got 80 more minutes, and then you're gone, all right? So, no, but... Let's look at a couple of them. Uh, preach it, yeah. Now, now, what you're supposed to say is, take your time, preacher. Take your time, all right? That's what you're supposed to do. Vance, what's wrong with you, all right? Anyway. Take your time, preacher. All right, I got it, I got it. But let's, let's take a minute and look at this, okay? Let's, let's just look at a couple of these. Okay, so here we got a man beaten up on the side of the road. The whole reason Jesus tells this story is that we might be able to not live by the American definition because by the American definition, our neighbor is somebody that's like us. You know, we live in segregated communities in Chicago, so we're segregated mostly by race, but not only are we segregated by race, we're also segregated by our economics. You know, most of the people around where you live make about the same amount of money you make because you can't, you can't live in the house you live in if you're working on minimum wage, possibly, all right? And so wherever it is, you can't afford that $2,000 a month rent. You pay what it is. So we end up doing that. Second thing we see in our neighborhoods is that we're segregated also by education. Most of the people around us have the same education we have because we are, seg we are segregated in so many ways with our culture, with our class, not just race, that when we take the American definition of neighbor, then we're going to love people who are like ourselves, that's radically different from the definition of Jesus, of my neighbor is somebody like the man beaten up on the side of the road. Who is that man? Well, the first one is so easy. The man beaten up on the side of the road is a person that's hurting. Did you catch it in the text? He was beaten up. He was stripped of all of his clothes. They stole all his money. He's naked, and he's beaten up until he's half dead. That's my neighbor. Who is it? First of all, somebody that's hurting. We have lots of hurting people in our world. Lot, you, you walk by hurting people probably every day. And we hurt not just by getting beat up or something, but you, know, you're going, you might know somebody going through a divorce. You might know somebody that just lost their job. You might know somebody who just was diagnosed with cancer or their close family member was. Those are hurting people. 
Our antennas are to go up if we want to be a, a, a Christian and a Christ follower the way that Jesus was talking because we're to love that person. So the first thing that we do is we start looking as we walk through life, who are the hurting people around? And when we find a hurting person, we know that's my neighbor and that's who Jesus says I'm to love. So that's the first one. You might notice in the story, one of the dr drama and the most dramatic parts of the story is that what, who happens to come by is the local pastor, the priest, and the Levites, the church leaders, this praise team up here, you know? They're the ones that are coming by. And so maybe if you were, if this actually happened to you, you'd probably be pray, praying for Jeannie or for, for Jared or somebody, that, one of your pastors, to come by and help you. But you know, when Jared walked down the road, he sees you over there, he says, oh, I, I, don't, I don't think I know you, and come over here and walk down the street. You know, he's going to a hospital visitor. He's meeting with the mayor or senator or somebody. He got an important thing. So, you know, even if he does recognize you, he says, I'm going to pray for you, brother, you know. <laughs> but then... This worship team, man, they're raising their hands. They're getting us to sing, you know. Pat's out of breath. He can't already make it, you know. I mean, they're into it. But when they walk down, they see you over there and they say, oh, man, you know, if I help you, you're all dirty and stinky. You know, it might mess up my hands. I won't be able to play my guitar. And I want my hand. You know, so, so they pass by on the other side. The story's dramatic. Who's my neighbor? My neighbor is somebody that people don't want to help. There's all kinds of reasons in our world that people don't want to help another person. Maybe that because people have helped them for 10 years and they're still not well. Well, that doesn't say you can, don't have to help them anymore. Who are the people you know? Maybe they're mentally ill. Maybe they got a terrible personality. Maybe they have a personality disorder and, and they're, just, they're, just, they're just hard to get along with. Whoever is that person that you walk and meet on the side of the road that nobody else wants to help in your daily life, in Jesus' world of definition of neighbor, that's exactly who we're called to help. We're called to help people who are going to take some of our financial resources to help. Did you catch this? Did you catch it in the story? Is that the guy stops. And before the financial resources, it's somebody that helped him with it took some time. Many of us are into the age of quick fixes. We want it fast. We want it now. We don't want to wait in line. You have to wait in line five minutes, you're out of here, and you're going to go do something else. You know, we, don't, we want now. We're into instant gratification. So here's the man. Did you notice the Samaritan comes? He stops. Gets down off his donkey, takes the, takes the man beaten up on the side of the road, picks him up, put him on donkey, takes him away to the, uh, I learned first service, it's not the Holiday Inn. This is not a Holiday Inn crowd. Takes him to the Hyatt, all right? And, and uh, uh, so we, we go to the Hyatt, you know, and, 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 and then he, did you catch what happened in the story? He takes him, he, he takes time, he bandages him up, he pours oil and wine, takes him over there. And then the text says it very clearly, the next day, he spent the whole night with him, nurturing him, attending to his wounds. Who's my neighbor? My neighbor is somebody that there's not a quick fix for. My neighbor is somebody that's going to take my time to help them. And it might take a long, long time. We have a friend who has who, who adopted a couple girls in, in, in second grade and is walking with them, helping them to read and walking with them and commit all the way through college. You don't still tutor a kid for a year and say, you did it. Walk with them. 
And, of course, when he was at the, uh, I mean, at the Hyatt, uh, he, 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 when he leaves the next day, he pulls out his American Express or Visa or whatever, and he hands it to the person at the desk and says, hey, listen, you know, here, pay the bill, and it, I'll come back and you put this on your record, keep, it, keep my credit card on record, and I'll pay any extra expenses. In the story, it's a denarii. Now, a denarii, he gives two denarii to the innkeeper. A denarii is one day's wage. He gives him two. So how much money is that? Well, you know, it's a little bit more than throwing a quarter in a cup with a homeless guy or putting a dollar in there. That just doesn't cut it in Jesus' definition. And so what do we see happening is that we see if you make $500 a week, that means you put $200 into this, into this effort. If you make $1,000 a week, $50,000 a year, that means it's $400. We're talking about real money here. My neighbor is somebody that's going to cost a financial investment for me to help. It takes money to help things. This guy had been violently treated. Violence is a huge problem in our city. Huge problem. And in the, in the, in the violence, he had, been, he had been violated. He was a victim of violence. In Chicago, we know that. My neighborhood, not, we have, we've, we've already had 100 people shot in my neighborhood in this year. We've had 14 people murdered in North Lawndale already this year. The other day, Ann and I were coming out of our house, our little two-flat Greystone, and we walked out. Our next-door neighbor said, hey, see that down there? And there are all these cop cars. They said, yeah, somebody just got shot and killed right down there. We get in the car, and Ann says to me, how do you process that? I had no answer. Who? And violence, people and violence, people who not only are victims of violence, but people who are the committers of violent effect. They're our neighbor. They're our neighbor. Lastly, there's a businessman who was, had a bunch of people working for him who were what we would call, the old word was illegals. Do you know that about 85% of the dishwashers at the restaurants that you eat at are Mexicans. And some are quote unquote illegal. We've got a new word now. Still a little demeaning, but it's undocumented. But we, you know we have an immigration problem. Well, this businessman, you would think, you know, that, that one of the things that he decided to do, and he, I, I, there's so much to the story, I couldn't tell you all, but he decided that he made, needed to make a difference. So he, there was a young man, his name's Pedro, who was working as a dishwasher in one of his restaurants. Actually worked at a dish, dishwasher in the Lawndale restaurant. And he took him and he began to help him. And he began, committed to him. In fact, the Chicago Tribune on the front page story a few years ago told this story and helped this young man. Do you know that undocumented dishwasher now is one of the leaders in the company? This is Lou Melnati's pizzeria. And this is Mark Melnati. And then Mark realized that all these dishwashers were never going to get ahead because they can't speak English. So you know what a businessman did? He started hiring people to come in and teach ESL. My wife Ann was one of them that came in and taught English to the dishwashers. You know what's amazing? One of those dishwashers in Naperville that my wife taught is now the manager of the Lawndale Lou Melnati's restaurant. It makes a difference. Who's my neighbor? My neighbor is that foreigner that lives in our community. There's a lot more to think about. Study this passage on your own.
See what God is telling you. See who your neighbor is. I know you are wonderful, committed people who want to serve God. And you want to obey what he says. And I know you want to obey loving him. And Jared and Jeannie and all the others are going to help you to know who that is but not, and how to love God. But then the second one is that, that great commandment involves loving our neighbor. We need to discover who our neighbor is so that when we walk through life, we would love those people. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this day. I, I am so blessed to be here with my sisters and brothers at Soul City. Thank you for the leaders here. Thank you for Jared and thank you for Jeannie. Thank you for all that are here. Thank you for the people who've been coming to church here. Lord, I just pray that you would be not only with individuals and the individual people who are here this moment, that you would help us, help all of us to love our neighbor, but I pray you would help Soul City to learn how, as a church, they can love their community and love their neighbor. And I know they're already reaching out to do that. Thank you for that, Lord, but continue to guide them. So I just, I commit the people here, and I commit the church into your hands, Lord, that you would help them to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that they would also love their neighbor as they love themselves. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.